0: Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Today Dreamer podcast. I'm really happy to have you here, even though I can't see you. I'm definitely imagining uh, your presence. Yeah, your presence out there and in here. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking a moment to be here with us in the here and the now. So, the show is here to help you cultivate your practice of presence. And it's my sincere intention to help you on that journey so that we may hopefully and uh, consciously contribute more fully to the blossoming of the emergent world story as it continues to unfold. So we have explorations into conversational spaces with a whole host of different guests. And today's guest is Dr. James Cook, who is a neuroscientist, writer, speaker, and focuses on consciousness, meditation, psychedelic states, science, and spirituality. The conversation will, will be around mystical experiences, non-dual insights that may be derived from those experiences or may arise, psychedelics, and James's process of emotional healing. Yes, I just want to again say thank you for being here with us and if you forever, for whatever reason, feel like connecting more deeply with the show, with the community, with me, feel free to reach out. Todaydreamer.com is a place you can do that. Uh, We can shoot me an email, michael at todaydreamer.com. I think that's all I really wanted to say. Let's get into this conversation with James and yeah. Thank you again
1: yeah i think that's as as good a place as any to start because you know when we think about well we think about anything and we try to come up with a coherent picture of the world our starting place really is experience you know we we find ourselves here experiencing something uh, and then we extrapolate from that and so i think it's reasonable to start with Stuff from there, and, and also with certain aspects of experience that seem consistent from person to person. So, you know, it could be that this is all kind of an illusion, you're in the matrix, it's a dream, some simulation, whatever, and you're really the only mind. Uh, and it just seems that there are all these people around you who agree with you. You can never get out of that solipsism trap if you try to disprove that. But uh, that's not something I find worrying because the other route to go is you find we find ourselves here and I have an experience where certain parts of the world feel like me, they feel under my control. Um we I can really we can dig down into what that really means, but other parts don't seem to be under my control. You know, when a bird flies by, that's different to me moving my hand. Um so there seems to be self and other in some way. And then if you speak to other people, they'll tell you similar things and this seems to this is this kind of intersubjective situation we find ourselves in where it really seems like there's me and the world and other people, um, other beings. And you can get that impression from your conscious experience of the world. And as I say, could all be a trick, could all be, you're in the matrix. But, um, I think for me, there's like, a often how emotionally stressed out one is pushes you on that spectrum. You know, if you're, If you're very stressed out, you could be freaked out by a sense of disconnection, isolation, you don't want to be the only thing in existence, and I think a lot of people can get themselves wound up into these concerns around solipsism sometimes, Um, the idea that you're the only thing that exists, and then if you become more at peace and more grounded, then you feel more trusting in this feeling that you are connected to a wider world, but also if it turned out I'm currently in a simulation and when I die I wake up from it and I'm, you're I get unplugged from the matrix or whatever it is okay fine while I'm here I'm gonna have this experience the experiencing is definitely real even if the content is illusory so I'm I'm okay with that there's a level of non-attachment that I think is is wise um
0: yeah what did you mean when you said concerns
1: what context do I say concerns?
0: You, mean, uh, you said the concerns when it came to solipsism. Um, so yeah. if you are under certain stresses or you are going through difficult times, um, right. are, you, are you kind of pointing to the idea that you may be more likely to lean in that direction?
1: Yeah, I think... So if you take someone who is... know delving into philosophy trying to find answers they come across this idea that maybe they're the only mind in existence or even they just have this realization they feel suddenly trapped in their own experience um and they're like wait a minute how could i ever know anyone else's conscious and they get freaked out by this um from inside their head there's like a logical consistency to what they're saying and it's hard to kind of logically get yourself out of it but from the outside, me looking at them as an emotional being, as a, what I perceive to be part of a greater whole. And th- my understanding of the psychology and neuroscience of of mental health in general, I tend to think in terms of, it, it just seems to be the case that when systems like us are connected and interdependent and mutually flourishing, that's when we feel good. That's, there's a kind of, the feeling of good could be a kind of signal that that's the direction we want to move in. It's, it's better for our flourishing. When we feel isolated, lonely, disconnected, that's at the pace of a lot of uh, emotional mental struggles, depression, anxiety. Um, and so what I would say from that person is, okay, they're having they're going through a, a fantasy of isolation really. They're, they're concerned that they're isolated and disconnected. And so what feels to them just like a logical philosophical concern, because they're not thinking about their emotions, they're just in their head in a kind of dissociated egoic way from the outside to me, it's like okay well here's some, here's a system that's been stressed out and it, and now it's it's concerned you asked here you know, why used look concern it's it's become attached to beliefs and constructs and it's it's trying to use ideas to find a way out of this problem, but the egoic rational mind is never going to find a solution to emotional problems of that kind uh well it could find solutions it could read the right books but then ultimately the work happens on an emotional level <clears> on <throat> a level of letting go and a non-attachment and just allowing and coming into connection with everything else
0: yeah so what kind of was coming up for me as you were sharing and kind of yeah kind of part of where the entry point came from was around the idea that you that you shared on one of your amas around something that may have been quite a lot for you recently around uh social matrices and something that may have been kind of zoomed down and explored through a psychedelic experience around the idea that um you know the, I, I guess the masks that we that we wear um and in terms of uh i'm just trying to kind of <laughs> put these in the, the words that you shared in the, uh, this thought in but i think i'll just kind of go my own way it was something from what i understood around you know this idea of um narcissism and darkness um maybe there was right. m- more layers of the masks that were kind of being worn and there was more of a separation between what was being shown and and who we truly were and maybe right. the lightness was in the other in the other space and um this idea that i've come to is uh i've just kind of <laughs> realized the potentiality of of um an awakened path through relationship and and it's interesting how that in in fact is a mirror right. and, and allows us to kind of unpeel some of those layers and um, yeah. live more, more authentically or, or more closely to that kind of, um, or show, show more transparently, um, and be who we are on a more transparent level.
1: Right. So <clears throat> when you go from, I guess I was talking about the more fundamental layer of uh, initial concerns with how do we even know that other people are
0: uh,
1: agents like us. But then, yeah, so what you're pointing to is this, when we accept that, when we accept that we're navigating the world and uh, other people are conscious and they have opinions about us and um, that, yeah, there's a... So the entry point to this, uh, for me, in talking about it, on my own um, in my own work was a, an experience I've had many times uh, spontaneously, I think I often have it quite reliably with psychedelics, um, which is this kind of zooming out and a feeling of a kind of poignant <clears throat> viewing of, of social dynamics from a little, like kind of an overview effect, um, feels similar to like say in a movie someone's looking in through a window at a scene in in someone's house and there's like an emotional scene playing out and there's a sense of kind of poignancy uh it feels like you can have that with with get out of your own head and you see your own interactions with people and you realize how you've been stuck in certain kind of yeah social matrices of like how are they going to think of me uh am I coming across well like all of all of these things and I think the this comes back to kind of connection and disconnection the The poignancy there is i guess because there's it's hard to be uh it's hard for most people to be perfectly vulnerable um for everyone to be to be absolutely 100 percent perfectly open vulnerable transparent um and therefore fully connected well ideally because if you're fully transparent the fear is that there won't be connection there'll be rejection of some kind mm. so there's usually some some attempt to manage the image of of who you are and that that kind of occurs on a spectrum so you because of the privacy of consciousness because i can never peer directly inside your your soul and see what's going on in there um there is always this gap between i'm appearing on a screen right now depending on how i move my face and my hands it conjures up a certain image um at the moment I'm not that aware of it, it's coming out very naturally, and I probably just look like someone talking in a normal way. But if I started behaving strangely, that would produce different effects. Or, um, so there's this disconnect between who I really am in my felt subjective sense and who I appear to be on the outside. Uh, and when that distance is as small as possible, when you can be as open and as vulnerable and as, um, and just allow allow your truly instinctive way of being to, to come out in your behavior, then people really do kind of, there's a sense of connection, like they're really seeing the real person. There's no pretense there. And then there's, there's a spectrum through to kind of, narcissism is a good example of it, something where you've really, your re, your if you think of, I mean, one way of thinking about narcissism is for people who have come to it through trauma, that there's a really wounded, uh, terrified part inside of the person who is just terrified to be vulnerable and so they, they put a lot of effort into crafting a very what they think to be a very kind of appealing, impressive attractive mask uh, and so they exploit this this discrepancy the fact that the appearance doesn't have to align with the um, with the true person and in kind of I mean, this is one reason in spiritual traditions why truth-telling is such a, a kind of important ethical norm, uh, and you can understand truth-telling to not just be in terms of like verbal propositional things, like you know, I left your ball by the tree or some some information like that, uh, but instead can just be this this intuitive way of being. You know, like you're not being deceptive, even in your body language, and that just means again more allowing, more letting go, more being less being less self reflexive um, and self monitoring and being self concerned and the way to move there is is often through uh, emotional work trauma healing feeling more grounded in the world more safe um, which is a process of learning to trust yourself you don't just surrender and pretend you are you know if you're in a dangerous environment you have to learn to resource yourself and have the skills to navigate into a situation where it's truly safe to um, to surrender but so it's people often talk about kind of light versus dark um in spiritual traditions as well and that can mean a few different things but I think generally for me when we're talking about human behavior and we you know we equate kind of evil with darkness and good the good with with light and I think part of that reason is what I was saying here about this kind of this discrepancy between the image and, and the person, because they're hiding in the dark there. There's some there's some shadow being cast by the, the image that's allowing them to, to hide. Um, whereas when you're fully aligned with who you are and how you present yourself, then there's a full transparency, a full illumination as, as much as possible. Um, and the miraculous thing is that you, even though technically where these kind of subjective islands that we started off talking about, that I can never know you're conscious for certain, we have, we have. it's possible to have deep connection. It's possible for there to be a full uh, alignment, coordination between two different techniques. I mean, I hesitate to say technically isolated because they're not really isolated. We're all part of the same unfolding. Um, but it's from from the scientific, philosophical way of thinking that's come out of the European tradition that's been very concerned with a feeling that I am an individual self that is isolated and separate to you. In that way of viewing, it seems miraculous that we can actually truly connect and truly know each other um, from a view that sees that as kind of an illusion where actually you're just part of a greater whole and it's kind of obvious that we should be able to connect and because we're inherently connected.
0: it seems quite miraculous and it seems yeah it seems like kind of like you mentioned obvious that 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 kind of pervades no matter what
1: yeah I mean it's I mean I guess a di- di- couple of different kinds of miraculous you've got the kind of uh the miraculous of the kind of the scientist who's like I don't believe it how could that what's the possible mechanism by which my consciousness could interact with yours and truly connect um and so, sort of kind of dismissive way of thinking about it or there's the kind of miraculous which is the kind of awe-inspiring um, elation you can feel when you when you are in connection, when you feel you know, because I guess the way I think about it is the way the reason we can connect is we're we're of a kind, we're the same phenomena, similar phenomena. You know, you've got um, the universe makes things like us, and it's because we are the same thing, same kind of thing, we can recognize each other, and in that there's this. Um, I mean, fundamentally, what we're talking about is love. We're talking about feelings of of deep connection, recognition, and it's as a scientist, it's still slightly baffling to me why why this why this is so fundamental. Why this feeling of love and connectedness, um, yeah, is so is at the bottom of our psychology. Uh, and is so robust and part of me you could give a dismissive easy answer of like well we're social primates and we evolved uh, uh for, for you know social bonding and that's usual for our survival and that c- it could just be that um i say just it still makes it pow- it's it's still meaningful and powerful but it feels to me like it's at a deeper level it feels like to be a living thing mutual dependence Kind of interdependence of other things is a fundamental principle that helps you to flourish and so really to to be the universe experiencing itself to form a little island of order that can then experience the world as happens with life that connection is the is the the way you do that basically and so in spiritual traditions where people feel like love is the fabric of the universe or love is just, is the nature of god or something that's the experientially that's the i have that that experience with where it's like this doesn't just feel like a social primate thing. This feels like uh, even lizards and things that we don't empathize with. And we, you know, we use language because we're mammals, we use language like warm and fuzzy to talk about love because we're a warm blooded, hairy mammalian thing. So we intuitively associate those things. So it's hard for me, you know, intuitively, I look at a crocodile and I don't think of it as having as loving things, but that could just be a human kind of mammalian centric way of thinking and when it's nurturing it's well i guess it doesn't nurture its young made <laughs> so maybe it is a mammalian thing. anyway this is something i've not come to a firm conclusion on at the moment um
0: yeah yeah it seems from what you were saying earlier it's probably not best to come to firm conclusions and That's true. there's this idea of uh yeah just kind of uh, just uh, it seemed obvious to me but maybe not so much maybe obvious isn't the right word but this kind of ever pervading nature of love that even, um, shines through the kind of illusion of separateness. It, it seems like quite a beautiful, um, poetic kind of thought, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if it's, it's also, it's for me, it's, it's a, it's a vivid, incredibly powerful experience as well. That's, um, and you know, when we, when I'm saying love, I'm not talking about like, some force that physicists need to describe or something that is like a, you know, exists out there. I'm talking about a kind of a dynamic, a way of being that is, so it's quite a complex thing, but it's when, when something like us is in a mode of openness and connectedness, it feels a certain way. So you've got the kind of, you've got both the physical thing of opening up, being connected, but then also the subjective dynamics that go along with that. And that, that package is what I'm calling love, particularly the subjective side of it. Um, but it's embodied, so it can't go along without the physical stuff. Um, and so it could be that love really only exists in primates, you know, or, or mammals, sorry, I should say mammals, that um, have evolved to, to kind of bond with their young and with each other. Uh, and, but e- even if that's the case, because what it is is, the reason that evolved is because mutual interdependence and you know mutual flourishing is is a good way to survive, a good way to be, a good way to exist, a successful way to exist. So even if it only exists in mammals, what we're getting in touch with is a, is a fundamental principle of at a kind of metaphysical level, at the level of physics and of, of the way the universe works. It's a holistic interdependent framework. So even it feels fundamental, because I think it is, even if it only exists in us and it doesn't exist you know, when, when things feel fundamental, people often have the habit of saying, well, it must be fundamental, then it must be the fabric of the universe. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I think it's an attribute of the fabric of the universe. You could say that we're getting in touch with, um, but again, it's just a mode of, of being where you open and you're, you're coming into, into interdependence. And so it's, to me, it's, it's the, Like if you had to, if you're trying to offer guidance to people in life and you could just use one word as an instruction, love would be, would be the one to me. And I, and you know, the, what I mean by that is if you, if you just move in this direction away from separation and into openness, trusting mutual independence, um, and you, you use your, feeling states to feel out what feels like love this could just begin with think of one thing you love could be something trivial and then notice how that feels in your body and then take that feeling that warm light whatever words you want to use to describe it that feeling and then shine it on whatever whatever arises in your experience and then that's the whole project basically if you just keep expanding what you can love unconditionally. we're talking about unconditional acceptance and you know which is one reason the word love here uh, that takes you in that takes you all the way into kind of full non-dual you know insight into the unitive nature of the universe and and it the kind of timelessness of consciousness, all of these different insights come out of a true surrender into into this openness that I'm I'm calling love here. Uh, so it's, it's, it's funny because with, with this one word, um, you know, the other day I was, um, I, I write songs sometimes and I, I was, I thought it'd be fun to collaborate with like an AI to, to see if it'd give me some <laughs> ideas. Um, and so I was, was playing around with some, some AI stuff and this AI song writing generator, I just went for the, I found one that existed already. I went for the default settings and it came up with a, a terrible, terribly written song, but every single line had the word love on it. And that tells you something about human culture. And you know, this just from watching movies and listening to songs and going into card shops. This is, if there's one word that's imbued with the most power or that we're more obsessed with anything, it, it's love. And growing up in England and as a scientist, what I'm supposed to say now is oh, of course it's so cliche and it's uh you know, I'm, and I'm fully aware of that, that, that's the reaction people have is a defensive kind of like, no, like it's we, we have to dismiss it. But it's as a I think as a species, we're in this neurotic struggle with love where we know it's right. We know it's good. We know it's what we want. Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard to get there because I said, you know, you can't just surrender into it. If you're not safe, you need to learn to trust yourself, resource yourself, empower yourself, mature and parent yourself to get to a place where you can navigate to the world where it's safe, you know, in a way where it's safe to love, because of that struggle, we have, we have all these cynical kind of reactions around it and we dismiss it, but it's it's clear we're not going to just get rid of it, we're obsessed with it, we, we know it's what we want, um, and I think, you know, for, in my own personal experience, this, once I, once I kind of aligned my trajectory to the centre of the bullseye of unconditional love, in this kind of, just open to whatever arises and experience, it was like, would be a good analogy. Uh, I feel like I've not seen. I'm not that proficient with knowing like sci-fi movies, but I imagine if someone's like being beamed into another dimension where all their molecules are like vibrating and they're being kind of teleported or something. It felt like that. It felt like I was in the in a current of something that was at a kind of at every from the largest to the smallest scale of my embodied experience. Of the world was was opening me up and and. I couldn't think of anything more powerful than that experience. And all it was, was just, and this was sober, this is not <laughs> psychedelics, although that can't help. Um, uh, yeah. It, it's when I had the experience, I was like, wow, okay. Now I, I know why people are obsessed with this. I know why it's important in spiritual traditions. Um, I would had a lot of insight into the kind of mental side of spiritual stuff before I had the insight into the love stuff and the love really completed the picture for me.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was quite beautiful. And something kind of stayed with me around the kind of distillation down to one word. I had a conversation with Forrest Landry a little while ago and he kind of, yeah, he talks a lot about choice and you were talking a lot about kind of navigating and and the trajectory of our lives and the stream of, or the current of love and flowing with that and finding a way. I'm picturing like a river kind of analogy and just kind of, surrendering into that space and yeah, I, I've, I've had a similar experience in my life um I yeah I wouldn't mind kind of moving our trajectory into um into the space of psychedelics if you're open to the idea and absolutely yeah and and maybe exploring some of the kind of psychotherapeutic work that you've done in that space and um yeah and um also you know if, if you wanted to link it in terms of um I was wondering if if you do see see a link in terms of this kind of capacity to um, uh, allow these masks to fall off more and more and and open into this space of kind of vulnerability and transparency and truth and love and um if you see if you see a kind of bridge there at all and it was just yeah, yeah, curious definitely. what comes up for you
1: yeah um yeah so i my entry to all this stuff was was having had a kind of what I guess I, I think the best term for it is non-dual insight, an insight into the unitive nature of existence and the fact that the map isn't the territory, existence is this unnameable thing, and then our models of it are a different thing. It's this feeling of like... Uh, you could say that like the the universe is like the body of god like it is and using god just to mean to point to a concept that's beyond all other concepts just it's it's this unnameable or inspiring thing um that's just yeah so i'd had this experience and and practiced a lot just kind of being in touch with this way of seeing and then this was before i'd done any kind of psychedelic work and i i wanted to talk in public about it because i felt that for me, it was really grounding, very kind of, I felt like it reframed the world in a way where a lot of problems, things that seemed like problems no longer felt like problems. A big one is fear of death. Like people who have these experiences typically no longer are particularly concerned with their own egoic, you know, process of, di- of, of being dead, I should say. Um, other people dying is still an emotional you know, thing, but, uh, there can be this kind of evolved terror terror around death that can go away when you identify with just the unfolding of all of existence. Um,
0: when you say so go I away, this I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt. I'm curious. Um, Not all. Yeah. Do you mean go away fully? I mean, so I had this first experience
1: when I was like 13 at which point, I mean, I guess I was probably afraid of death then because I was ruminating about hell because I was raised Catholic. So you could call that fear of death. But yeah, I would say, I mean, For me, you know, I, I I should come back when I'm on my deathbed and and see if I'm, if I'm talking nonsense now, but I I feel quite confident that, um, I mean, just in my life, my, the idea of my own mortality has not been, has not bothered me really. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, would I say totally? there's There've probably been moments where there' been moments of poignancy where I've been like, "Ah, oh, you know it sucks that this can't go on forever, but then it's immediately it's immediately kind of extinguished by the non-dual realize, kind of realization of well, it does go on forever. you are the fact of being and being cannot there cannot be non-being. like that's not a stable that's not a thing that can exist kind of by definition. so you are the ongoing unfolding of just the universe that will and not just this universe of all being that will always continue so. Like there's no it it really feels like an illusion falls away and it's like there's not really anything to worry about um so i would say pretty much totally but i'm not gonna say fully totally because you know you're still as well as identifying with just being you still are a human with your human programs you still have thoughts and you still have emotional reactions but it's it's more than my experience they come up and then they're they're immediately recontextualized like half a second or later Mm. so you're not stuck in it you're not worrying about it um
0: it's a different relationship to it yeah
1: yeah exactly um so uh
0: what was i going with this so you were uh so this happened when you were 13.
1: right right so then um i wanted to talk about it because i saw it as fitting with science as well and i felt like there wasn't um thankfully there's a bit more about, about it now kind of people talking about how mindfulness and meditation fit and psychedelic medicine Mm -hmm. fit with with science. And, but when I was first interested in talking about this stuff publicly, there really wasn't that much being said about it. And so I felt that this, um, I wanted to talk about it and then I, but I knew, I I knew I wasn't ready. I couldn't tell you why, because I felt like when you have this non-dual insight, awakening, realization, whatever you want to call it, um, you're in touch with just the fact of being, which is just absolute. It's like, there's no, there's no real nuances to it. It's just, it's, it's existence and it's, um, you can't really go deeper. It's just, if you get it, you get it. And so part of me was like, okay, I get it. Like, I'm, I think I should be ready to talk about this. But then part of me was like, not, you don't, I don't feel fully baked. I'm not sure, I I don't know why, but I know I'm not ready to. and so, one thing I was interested in was I've you know, read papers around uh, these kinds of what's also, you know, it's also called a mystical experience um, being produced by psychedelics. And so I thought, great! Like if I think this is something that should be freely available to people, that they can have these insights and hopefully live better lives, then this could be a good mechanism to democratise it. Um, and you know, I don't want people to have to have we don't want to just wait for people to have these spontaneous events like I had. So then I, I thought I would try a high dose psilocybin trip just to to see if it's similarities and differences and um, the core insights are the same because you're still, it doesn't matter really how you get there, you're still having insights into yourself and into what you are as a piece of existence. So they're still valid. Um, some people want to dismiss them as kind of lesser than spontaneous ones, but I think that there are differences, but, um,
0: but you're reflecting on the differences from when you were 13. This was, I'm assuming quite a bit later on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, probably as many years later again. So, um, so yeah, you, there are definitely differences, but it's the core thing is still the same Mm. when you have this kind of mystical ego dissolving experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, yes, reflecting so then, on
0: the similarities would have been a better way of putting it yeah i get what you're saying
1: yeah so then um you then what happened to me though was that i'd as can happen with psychedelics it just started to kind of bring to awareness emotional or emotionally charged memories and and I just started to to feel into my feelings in an embodied way, in a way that I'd never really done before. I'd always thought of myself as a kind of open, sensitive, uh, feeling kind of person, but I had an ex- I'd had you know a challenging time growing up, and as a result, my my whole physiology was was tense and and braced against the world. And this is a kind of a strange thing to get your head around when it comes to. kind of non-dual insight which is that you can really have it whenever you can be someone like me who is completely wound up and felt separated and isolated and and really um not a good candidate not someone who's done yoga and meditated and has really opened themselves up and you know me when i was 13. um and yet even then you can just have this switch where you notice despite all of this struggle on another way of looking there is no struggle there's just everything just exists and it's all lawfully unfolding um but then the trick is to integrate those two things and bring your your way of being and your embodied you know, being feeling like a human into alignment with what it feels like to just be the fact of existence unfolding
0: quite a task for a 13 year old sorry quite a task for a 13 year old yeah
1: well that's why it took me another well over another decade to, to figure it out and, and in the meantime i was just engaging it in what would be called spiritual bypassing and just kind of um escaping from my suffering into this perspective where it's like oh if i just look at if i shift into this awareness where it's just awareness and everything's arising in it there's no suffering great and then the thing is i i couldn't i couldn't just wake up in the morning and spend 18 hours going about my day in this perfectly enlightened light you know way of being it would be i could shift into that whenever i wanted but then seconds later it would just collapse back into feeling like a burdened ego and I could shift out again and but then so it wasn't uh yeah, I still felt like I was suffering as an ego and needed to integrate this somehow. Uh yeah, and then luckily enough, the I it was through because psychedelics actually act on the physiology, and because you know mind and matter are not separate, you know, your your consciousness is an embodied process. Um if you I mean for me. I need I think I with my brain circuits and my physiology just being set in a certain way as an adult, I needed I needed things that would increase neuroplasticity and would open up um, change my allow me to change my wiring basically and to, to allow this physiological embodied uh, change to occur. And the crazy thing is with um, where people carry embodied traumatic stress, typically don't know that you are because they it typically happens when you feel overwhelmed and it's a coping mechanism to kind of switch off and isolate that um whatever the thing is the the emotional reaction that that was too much and so you don't know that it's there um you know for example uh in my 20s i would drink espressos and i could have multiple and i would never i would never really feel it i would feel like coffee didn't really affect me um I, I don't really drink caffeine anymore, but yesterday I had an espresso and for the, for about 12 hours, it felt like I was in an altered state. I, I did it because I wanted to work, do some very deep, intense work and it worked really well, but I was, it was like a, a mild LSD trip to me or something and we're just talking about a normal cup of coffee. And that, that's because I've spent years now just kind of really being in touch with my feelings my in my body and releasing stress and so now. I, and I read all of the signals you know if, if there's a fluttering in my stomach I detect it and I interpret it and instead of just feeling like you're in your head and shut off from the body um it's amazing you can create these kind of blind spots when you're uh, when there's emotional struggles going on so yeah for me it was only once i could f- i could really open up and for me a big part of it was breathing i I was so fundamentally kind of braced against the world that my breathing was this kind of jagged gasping uh it was almost like with every breath there was an anxiety i wasn't going to get enough oxygen so the next breath would be caught with like a conscious gasp um and i what i had to do was to surrender to a point where my instinctive slow breathing would just learn again just through basic or physiological mechanisms would learn to take over and that actually involved me like lying down for like long periods of not breathing and then waiting for my stomach to suddenly like you know i know, just have to mindfully let my let go and let me ego surrender and be with the anxiety and the fear that i'm not going to breathe but trust that nothing's obstructing my airways and
0: this is during I, a cycle journey
1: yeah i've done i've done it both on and off but i think the first time i did it was um on an lsd trip where i i realized i was just done with with living in a stressed style mm. way i was done with carrying the emotional burdens that i was carrying and i was i felt this sense of i again as someone who's trained as a neuroscientist which is a subfield of biology you know so I'm, uh trained as a biologist in a sense you i'm familiar with uh the evolutionary story of like what we are as physiological beings and and i was like I should be able to just lie here and completely surrender and have my heart beat and my my lungs feel with there without consciously doing anything without stressing about it and so i felt i i this should be possible and that i was owed this in the sense of i think we're all we all deserve to just be at peace if you're in a safe environment we all deserve to, to try to connect with that ability just to be at peace and to rest um yeah and it's very dramatic and uh and not, a, not an easy process to go through, but, and I, I still kind of do it now to some extent, mildly, but where if something happens that's stressful, I can sometimes feel that there's an in- instinct to kind of gasp a little bit. And I, but in, in the past that would have felt very reified, very real and I would have done it. Now what, what happens is I notice, oh, okay, there's, there's a bit of anxiousness here and a fear. And there's, I can feel my throat slightly contracting and then the thing to do is, for me at least, is just to, if we're not going too much into the weeds of the technicality of how I do this now, but um, is you just notice all that and you don't give in to the, to the fear. <clears throat> and then eventually it kind of dissolves or a deep belly breath comes, and but you, you're you fundamentally shifting out of a, an egoic fear-based way of being. Um, <clears throat> and then for me, this, this allows me to be fully in alignment more and more in alignment with this absolute perspective of just being the unfolding universe, being a physiological evolved organism that doesn't have to second guess itself. You know, it's a kind of Taoist just kind of flowing with the river way of being.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into part one of this two part series. Please don't forget to check out the next episode to kind of complete this journey, this exploration. And there'll be information on all the guests work in the show notes section and also through the website todaydreamer.com. And if you head over to the website, there's an ongoing, there's ongoing offerings in regards to helping you cultivate your own practice of presence, because it's my sincerest intention to help you contribute towards the blossoming of the emergent world story in your own unique and particular way. Thank you for tuning in and I will catch you next time, my friend.